right, all right. Dr. Kevorkian, you ready for this show? Yes. Beautiful. Sound just like Al Pacino. Who played the role of Dr. Kevorkian, I think, in a movie or a TV series? It Al Pacino? Matter. Yeah, Al Pacino. I Dr. Not, Kevorkian. I did not know that. Yeah, now you do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sons of History show. I am Dustin Bass. And I am Dr. Kevorkian. Also known as? Alan Joaquin. All right. Let's go ahead and get this show started. We've got a very special guest with us for this week's podcast. Uh, but before we do, as always, book and movie, not review, recommendation. So, do you want to go or do you want me to go first? You go first. Okay, because I think you went first last time. Correct. I think I'm always a little nervous. Why is this? It's just me. Is it because of the clothes I wear? You mean the lack of clothes that you wear? Hey, we're in a private setting, all right? This is not video. Yeah, well, it's private whenever I am not here. Well, I feel the need to be comfortable because on my day job, I have to wear... Clothes? Clothes. <laughs> That's the worst. All right, well, my uh, selection for a... Well, it's not a book, but it is good reading, and we are going to be talking about James Madison in this conversation with our special guest. So I'm going to be referencing Federalist Paper number 10. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't read the Federalist Papers, please do so. And if you're like, well, I don't want to read all of them, then go read James Madison's Federalist Paper number 10. Really good. It's probably the most famous Federalist Paper. I don't want to say it's the best because there's 80 plus. I don't want to say that there's that's the one that you should read, but if you're wanting to start somewhere aside from number one, start with number 10. Uh, really a lot of famous quotes that come from that. Anyways. I hope it's better than the Beatles Revolution number nine. Okay, all right. A little over walrus. your head. <laughs> Here we go. All right, my movie recommendation. Rewatched this the other night with a couple of friends because I'm going to go this week and watch Chapter 2, It. It, Chapter 1. Have you ever seen the movie Stephen King's It? Uh, no, I didn't even see the thing, but that wasn't Stephen King. No, it wasn't. It was that's Carpenter? Craven. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yeah. Why yeah. would you even make that comparison? Well, Cousin It and Thing from the Addams Family. I know. I'm really, I'm 0 for 2, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of over your head. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, go check out if you like Stephen King and if you're a fan of It, the old version that came out on a Sunday during the middle of the day on television for children to watch and destroyed their minds and destroyed the careers of clowns across the globe. Um, go check out it Chapter 1 came out a couple of years ago, and It Chapter 2 is now in the theaters. I will give you a rundown of how I feel about it. It's gotten good reviews. That's all. What do you got? For my book recommendation, The Zulu War, Zandawana to Alundi, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, by Michael Corleone. I hope it's Barthorpe, Barthorpe, Barthorpe. Michael Barthorpe. How about uh, Bathorpe? 
No, I don't think so. No, okay. I think it's Barthorpe. Um, the Zulu That's War. Right. Yeah. yeah, Barthorpe, right? You said Barthorpe. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm sure you'll find it. It's like Bart and then Horp, or Bar and then Thorpe. Just look it up, you'll find it um, in, in many of the fine bookstores. Um, did you ever see the Michael Caine movie, Zulu? And then uh, Peter O'Toole did the sequel, which was actually a prequel called Zulu Dawn that came out about 15 years later. No, I didn't, but I'm very glad that you came up with Michael Caine. Why is that? In- now, instead no, because of... Who played time? Alfie? Who? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I... It, it amazes me how sometimes I'll forget certain names. But, Jimmy yeah. Stewart and Michael Caine, they're on yeah, the list now. Yes. Uh, well, the, the Zulu War, 1879, when Britain was expanding their territories uh, in South Africa, and, and they took over... Um, the Zulu Nation and the you know Zulu Nation was like I don't think so, so uh, it was a unnecessary war and I believe uh, Queen Victoria didn't want a war but it it happened anyway because of uh, the governor of uh, Natal who just uh, pushed the Zulus and uh, they got their butts kicked in one of the uh, biggest uh, one-sided battles in the history of colonial warfare when the Zulus annihilated the uh, British force at mm. Isandlwana. So, a good book. Um, you, should, uh, you should check it out before you watch Zulu and Zulu Dawn, which are good movies, by the way. Um, now, speaking of movie recommendations, uh, the Walking Tall series, and we're talking about the original ones, uh, with Joe Don Baker in the first one, and then Bo Svensson in the second and, fi- and the third one called The Final Chapter. Not the Dwayne Johnson version? Well, I mean, that was entertaining, but... Yeah. but uh, it was the- no rundown. Well, the, the original Walking Tall, they're based on a real-life figure. It's the, the story, the movies themselves are not factual, uh, for, except for a few parts. But it is based on a real man, uh, Sheriff Buford Pusser of uh, McNary County in Tennessee. Um, you know, it's, it's good to remember men like him because uh, he, he fought for good. Now, granted, today... Um, some of the things that he did would have violated, you know, the first, the second, the fourth amendments, maybe the ninth, uh, the fourteenth. Uh, and not just that, would, <laughs> if he had done them today, but while he was doing them then. While he was doing them back in those days, I think the ACLU would have had a field day with him. Probable cause. He he did uh, he he fought a savage war against savage people. Yeah. So much of what he did was not. Based on, if you look at the movies themselves, I have not read too much about his real life, but, but they are entertaining, and you know, if, if you're just you, you want to just relax one of these days, your mind is. Tired. He was a modern day Zulu warrior. Uh, mm, well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> but he's an everyday folk hero. Yeah, because he just watch the original Walking Tall. Walking Tall 2 and Final Chapter. There are, are words that can't be used today. Um, right, of course. Yeah, you know, if they use those now, the people would be uh, throwing them in a bonfire. But uh, again, they're, they're entertaining, and you stand up and you cheer for the hero in this movie. Really? And, uh, yeah. Is that and, how you react at the Well, no, at that, the was the, the uh, that was their line. Uh, when was the last time you stood up and cheered for a movie or a hero? And... Uh, now, Buford Pusser, uh, last month was the 40th anniversary of his death. Mm. Um, he had such an impact that, uh, that the, um, 
that these mobsters tried to kill him and they ended up killing his wife in the process and that's how he grew to national fame yeah um, he did have a big stick and uh yep not you know uh it was a pine bat or something <laughs> like that but uh but they have his home is now I was about a, to say man yeah. you've done some in-depth research That's on this right. guy. <laughs> His home is now a museum in uh, McNary County. So, uh, yeah, watch it. It's fun and it's entertaining. But it's not, again, it's not completely factual, but it's based on much of what really did happen in his life. Awesome. All right, everyone, uh, we are really excited today to have a guest on the show. Um, and I will explain later how he and I got connected. Um, but we've got Joe Wolverton. On the show, he is the author of the new book. Actually, it came out uh, towards the end of last year, The Real James Madison. Joe, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be with you guys. I, I love all your stuff. I love the way you uh, bring history to life and the way you, mostly the way that uh, the two of you make it accessible to people who otherwise would think history is boring. I, I really respect that about you guys, so it's great to be here. Well, thank you very much, man. We appreciate it. Thank um, you. We consider that an honor. We really do. Yeah, mission accomplished. I guess we can shut the show down now mm-hmm. that we've done There you go. <laughs> Rest on <laughs> our laurels. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right, Joe. Well, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and sort of how you came to be. Uh, I reference the Teacher of Liberty. Uh, I reference your Instagram account, but... Tell us, uh, our audience, a little bit about yourself, and we'll go from there, man. Yeah, all right. Well, um, I am the first person on either side of my family to go to college. Uh, Both my mom and dad were raised as sharecroppers on cotton farms outside of Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, so I went to college, and I got to college, and I was a short dog in tall grass for sure. And luckily, I had a professor that... uh, taught me out of, of leaving. And this professor, just uh, his name was Dick Vetterly. He died uh, way too young, but uh, he, he set me on a quest that changed the course of my life. He told me to, because uh, I'd never heard of the Federalist Papers, if you can believe that. There I was in college. I'd never heard of the Federalist Papers. And Dr. Vetterly said, here, read, read this. And it was the Federalist. And he said, uh, here's a copy and it was the anti-federalist and he's like read these and uh, go through go through the indexes of each one and write down everything you've never heard of and it was just I mean I hadn't heard of any of it in the index so I just set about reading and and got myself caught up with people and I eventually uh, went to law school at the University of Memphis just to stay at home and and then I practiced law for about six years mostly doing <clears throat> defense or uh, mostly doing fourth amendment work, just suing the government when they had violated people's rights that were protected by the fourth amendment. And uh, I write for the new American magazine. I've done that for about 15 years and that turned into speaking gigs. And I got, uh, got hired by the 10th amendment center to do their, uh, nullify now tour which kept me busy for a couple of years and all of that ended up with me being invited by a guy uh, that saw me speak in st louis missouri he saw me speak invited me to teach at a at some charter schools that he owned in arizona 
I went down and visited, took him up on that and uh, did that for five years. And now I'm freelancing. I'm teaching the same stuff I always taught, uh, but I'm doing it as a private tutor for about a uh, hundred kids now from uh, different families. That's amazing, man. Um, the whole private tutor uh, teaching aspect, you know, that, that was really how a lot of our founding fathers were taught. Um, and, you know, I recently watched a play based on the life of C.S. Lewis, um, and that's how he was taught by, you know, primarily by a personal tutor. Um, uh, how much do you think that is sort of lost on, I guess, modern society or modern America and the need for I, it? Yeah, I think it's lost nearly completely. I mean, people think I'm crazy for doing this, but I know that in, you know, learning about James Madison, not only for the book, but just for, uh, he happens to be the one of the founders that I sort of took to early on more than others. And in his autobiography, which is about 20 pages, because he said that's all he had that was of interest to write about himself. <laughs> uh, and you, when you consider that, you know, Kim Kardashian has two volumes of her autobiography, that tells you what, who we are as a country. But uh, the uh, but you no, know, Madison's teacher was Donald Robertson, just a Scottish guy off the boat. Uh, but people recognized that he had a a real skill for teaching. So Madison's dad, uh, they weren't rich, the Madisons. I mean, they had a lot of land, but they weren't, they were, they didn't have cash. And so uh, Madison and a bunch of his, uh, that is James Madison Sr., the president's dad, and a bunch of guys in the neighborhood ended up hiring Donald Robertson. And in his autobiography, James Madison says, everything I have achieved in life, I owe largely to that man. And uh, that, to me, that's the thing. We don't really, I mean, you think about it, we don't really, people complain that the teachers of history aren't that good, and it's true, but that's because they don't have to be. There's no competition. Once you get, you know, you get hired by a school district, you know you're going to get paid. You know, it's, the money's going to be there. Whereas me, as a private tutor, uh, if I don't teach in a way that people find useful and beneficial to their children, I don't get hired the next semester. So uh, I think that's where we're missing because in everything else, conservatives always recognize that the free market makes for a better product. But for somehow, but for some reason, when it comes to education, we don't get behind that. We think that, hey, it's okay to have a socialist education system. But uh, I think that if we applied our capitalist principles to education, the way we apply it to uh, technology and other things like that, we'd see a uh, real quick crescendo of uh, understanding about history and a lot of other things. Yeah, um, Alan and I are huge fans of the private market, um, obviously, and we've actually had discussions, I'm not sure if on the show regarding education, but definitely personally on the education system and how uh, really disappointing it is. Uh, we have statistics on our homepage pointing out the really just the detriment of the public education system regarding U.S. history, which is the one subject that suffers the most out of all of them. I know. Yeah, I know. Because, uh, oh, sorry. I'll go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, speaking for myself, um, I have been a fan of history since uh, elementary school, but it really took off in junior high. 
And I remember reading just about every history book in my school. And then through high school, I did the same thing so that when I took American history, my junior year in high school, I was so eager and so ready to take it on that when I took the class, I remember finding it utterly boring. And the textbook was even worse. And, you know, I pride myself uh, as a self-educated historian, and I give no credit to the schools that I went to. Yeah, yeah neither I mean, do I. <laughs> I. I was, I was the, uh, you know, it's nothing more than a, a, just a title without any signification whatsoever. But I was the history department chair at this district of charter schools. And I can tell you, I mean, a lot of times I would look in on other history classes and it was, let's show a video, let's read a chapter from this ridiculous textbook that nothing filled with nothing but lies and and pablum and that was it and then they wondered why people got so fired up when they finally got into my class i'm like well have you it's not like i'm this great teacher i'm like it doesn't take much to be considered great when you consider the contrast yeah, yeah, the competition is not that fierce. And I don't want to beat up on the yeah. education system, like the public yeah. education system, because my yeah. my education was private and I didn't get a I, my history stuff like above like overall was it wasn't good. I mean, I I remember no, getting out no. of out of high school and thinking, I don't know anything, especially when I got into college and I started going through history classes and government classes and I was like, I don't remember any of this. I remember a uh, professor at, uh, I I took some uh, classes when I was still in high school, uh, community college, North Harris County College. I do remember that there was one history professor there, and I believe he ended up becoming the head of the history department. Now, he showed passion in his classes, and to this day, I remember him discussing the Battle of New Orleans, to this very day. Uh, I wish I could remember his name, but I ran into him at uh, one of the bookstores, and I, I credited him for the passion that he showed in his course in his classes. And I told him that to this very day, I still remember your lecture on the uh, Battle of New Orleans. So there there are exceptions to the rule. I'll tell you that. Oh, that's for sure, and that's that's what and that's what I'm trying to do, man. I'm just trying to do what, and that's the thing people always say. They're like, "Man, your your passion just comes through," and I I said, "Yeah, we should." Everybody in the world should do what makes them, you know, passionate. And that's, that's what I do. That's, that's mostly the key to it. Just be passionate. So I want to reference like how you and I got connected. Uh, you and I got connected through uh, Instagram um, yeah. on our, the Sons of History Instagram account, uh, ladies and right. gentlemen, if you're not following, go follow at the Sons of History. And Joe is at teacher of liberty that's teacher underscore of underscore liberty um and i just kept seeing a lot of your quotes that you were putting together and i was like man these are just really good timely quotes despite the fact that maybe they were a thousand or two thousand plus years old and i was like it's it's amazing and it's beautiful how things that were going on in those days still apply today and you can you know Re reiterate, um, regurgitate, echo, however you want to put it, these quotes, these statements that were made by people back in those days and apply them directly. 
uh, to what's going on now. So that's how you and I got connected, um, just to let our listeners know. And I saw that you had recently put a book together on James Madison um, called The Real James Madison. So what prompted you to write this book on this particular founding father? And what is, obviously it's about James Madison, but is it more than that or what is it all about? Yeah, well, what what uh, initially prompted me was uh, people at the National Center for Constitutional Studies. They had this series of biographies on some of the, you know, the varsity squad of founding fathers. And and I I called them on it. I'm like, you have Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, but you don't have James Madison. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, you know, you go to D.C., Franklin Roosevelt has a two acre monument. James Madison has a room at the Library of Congress. I'm like, come on now. And so mostly they they said, well, if you want us to publish one, then knock yourself out. So I did. So that was the original problem. And just because Lynn Cheney, you know, and look, you can like her or not. I'm not this isn't a personal thing, but her biography of Madison had just come out and it was so much ink about how sickly he was and about no one can figure out why he, you know, was so inconsistent. And I'm like, okay, that's it. That's that. I can't stand anymore. (laughs) So I just, I just started writing it to, and what makes it different is I, I put very little about his ill health because he didn't let it stand in his way. And I, well, what I say about Madison is what I, I, the way I talk about his health, I said Madison was born at a time before the excuse factories were built. And so he just had to get on. He wanted to be something that would make a difference. And there was no excuse factory the way we have it, that we can come up with an excuse. You know, daddy didn't say love me. Mom didn't hug me, whatever. And so James Madison just got onto it. And I included purposefully so much of the writings of Madison that have literally not been in Madison biographies in over a hundred years. The, uh, the Republican essays that he wrote, uh, the Helvidius Pacificus, uh, letters that he wrote. I made sure it included those in there because like I say, they hadn't been included for so long. And I thought this is the kind of stuff that people, if they read, would understand not only who Madison was, they would understand that he is a consistent, constitutionally consistent guy. And that that's what prompted it. I wanted to, to repair the image of James Madison in the mind of people and maybe try to drag him properly, drag his reputation back into the pantheon of founding fathers. So um, one of the things that I know I um, wanted to mention or ask was what is in this book that may not be in other Madison biographies? And you've mentioned um, some of the Republican essays. Um, Anything else in particular? Because obviously he wrote a lot of the Federalist Papers. He wrote um, a number of other just essays. He put together the Virginia Plan. Um, So what, what what are some of the things that maybe people can also go check out um, separate from your book to get maybe the, cause I'm, I'm quite certain you're not putting the entire essay into 
into these into the book. Uh, so where are some places that maybe people can just go and check out uh, a lot of what uh, Madison put together? I'm so glad you asked that because uh, the past couple of days uh, I've been writing about a map, some Madison writings that you can find. Cause like you say, I didn't include the whole thing. Um, these uh, Pacificus Helvidius uh, debates, it featured uh, Hamilton versus Madison. You know, we're talking five years after publication of the Federalist Papers. And these two co-authors are now, attacking each other because uh, Hamilton insisted that the president could had power to go to war. And Jefferson wrote to Madison and said, uh, take up your pen. He's like, go at this guy because here's Hamilton lying about the constitution. So Madison writes a series of essays called the Helvidius and spelled just like it sounds, H-E-L-V-I-D-I-U-S the Helvidius letters. And it is so, so appropriate to today because now, you know, President Trump sending troops to Saudi Arabia. Uh, we lit up uh, a village the other day with some flying robots shooting missiles at people. And Madison in his Helvidius essays talks all about how the executive does not have power to initiate war under the Constitution. And I'm telling you, if people go out and read those today, and they're short and they are fiery, you go out and read the Helvidius letters, you can just Google it, it'll come up, James Madison Helvidius, and all about the executive and how it grows and how it has no power to initiate war. I'm gonna tell you, people are gonna be copying and pasting and people are gonna be like, whoa, how did you get that? And don't, you know, don't reference me, just reference the source, man. James Madison coming correct when it comes to the uh, power of the president to send American troops into battle. Maybe for every incoming president should be, uh, Helvidia should be required reading. Oh, yeah. man, <laughs> man, look, they, every incoming president, you know, the funny thing is you read about, I wrote a an article years ago about the Library of Congress. People are like, why is it called the Library of Congress? Well, because it started as, and if you read my article, just Google my name in Library of Congress. It says, these are the books that congressmen will need to reference in order to write good legislation. Uh, yeah, no, the congressmen, they, they're not reading those books. That I guarantee you there aren't more than a handful of people in Congress who would recognize the name of any of the authors whose books were originally in the Library of Congress. So, yeah, if we could get someone who's tight with Trump to get him uh, a copy of the Helvidius letters, maybe we could uh, maybe we could see him turn turn things around and maybe uh, bring some troops home. Uh, question for you, since I have not yeah. I have not read this uh, essay. Yeah. Um, the difference between a declared war, which you have to get through Congress, versus an undeclared war, because I know during the early part of the 19th century, um, and, and the, the only undeclared war we had was the quasi-war with France. Right. And I don't know if John Adams needed permission, or there were just battles that raged. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, on the quasi war itself, yeah, I've actually written about that as well. Um, I think that what can we and the Helvidius letters actually talk about it. Madison makes a difference between declaring or initiating war and the president having to protect the United States uh, at a time because if you're thinking about the quasi war, you're talking at a time when Congress was in D.C. for about, uh, you know, four months out of the year tops. And so at that and Madison references it in Helvidius, he says, uh, you know, there may be times when the president will need to defend the United States at a time when the legislature is not in session or not available to be called into special uh, session. And he says, that's fine, but don't let don't let us uh, rule according to the exception. And so he does reference that. And I think that's what we're looking at in the quasi war is, well, there's a couple of things. One, it was in the era when Congress wasn't uh, around all the time like they are now. And number two, you had John Adams at a time when uh, the Grima worm tongue of American history, uh, Alexander Hamilton, had just whispered in everybody's ear about what a great thing it would be to have an American empire. And, you know, John Adams was a he, he fancied himself a little bit. And so to see himself as this uh, great hero, war hero, you know, to call this quasi war. And I I don't think that it has anything contrary to what Madison espouses in The Federalist as well as Helvidius. I think it's uh, consistent in the fact that he says there may be rare exceptions, but they are just that. They are exceptions. The rule must always remain, which is that the legislature is responsible for 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 declaring war. And then once the war has been declared by the representatives of the people, then the president is the commander in chief. And the Constitution makes that clear. Do you think that there's been a a ramp up of, I guess, executives, the executive power just initiating um, these types of escalations? Um, I, I think obviously with even with us being attacked in 2001, um, and we declared war, but through Congress, um, we we have, um, you know, with what was it, Libya and the Obama administration, and then here recently with the Trump administration. Why is it that over, you know, 200 years later, we're seeing an escalation of this type of activity? Well, that's also funny that you should say that, because in Helvidius, Madison writes, he's like, look at history. The executive always accumulates power, and primarily he accumulates power by way of some sort of supposed or even actual foreign threat. And so there, once again, Madison proving himself prophetic. He says the executive will accumulate power. He will do it in the name of protecting America through warfare, and that's what's going to happen. And I think the thing to remember is I teach my kids. I'm like, tyrant's going to tyrant. That's what they do. That, and so in this case, our president's going to want to accumulate power. Yeah, of course. There are very few men 
who, if you gave him that kind of power, the, as Obama said, I've got a phone and I've got a pen. So, you know, if you give them that kind of power, there are few people who are going to resist it. But we have to focus on the fact that Congress has allowed. So I call Congress an unindicted co-conspirator in the growth of presidential war power anytime they wanted to. They could stand up and say, yeah, no, we're not. You're not doing that. But they passed the War Powers Act, the War Powers Act, the Emergency War Powers Act. I mean, that's Congress. That's Congress saying, yeah, it's cool if you do it. Because why? It's very simple. It's like everybody else in in our age. It's a way to pass the buck. If the war goes well, then they can say, yeah, we were we funded this whole thing. Right. If the war goes goes poorly for the United States, they can say, see, this is the problem. The president, he starts wars that are (laughs) that we shouldn't. And so there you get they get to they they win at all costs. Right. Right. They say we funded this good war or look what that terrible president did getting into this this war we never should have been in. They they win no matter what. Right. So we need to focus on the fact that those people who are at least on paper, our representatives have allowed the president to get this kind of power. Right. Question for you. Now, the, yeah. s- the Senate, the Constitution states that the Senate ratifies treaties, foreign yeah. treaties, with well, a two-third, two-thirds vote, correct? Right. Okay. During the Obama administration, d- did the Senate give the president the power to sign a treaty, but Senate, the, the Republican Senate who gave this to him, this power to him, wasn't it switched where now when the president signs a treaty, the Senate has to vote two-thirds in order to stop it? Do you know, do you know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. I actually wrote about that too because I saw that at the time when Obama was president. I saw that little that little trick that they played at the time as a way to get uh, backdoor gun control measures enforced in the United States, because they would say, well, we don't have, it's, it's not a treaty, it's an executive agreement, and there's nothing we can do about it because the president, and like you say, it was a Republican Senate, that way you don't have to have any Republicans going on record, heaven forbid they do something they might be held accountable for, and so they say, look, we nothing we could do about it. It was an executive agreement. Uh, Obama entered into this agreement with the United Nations, and we committed ourselves. And, you know, we're Americans, and we, we stick by our word. And even though we hate it that this terrible communist president got us into this situation, well, it's, it's uh, an executive agreement that we have no constitutional authority over. And so now they're kind of doing it the the backward way as well but it always just comes down to if we just read the bloody constitution (laughs) i mean it's like it's like we act like it's hidden in the vault of the vatican library or something it's like i would love to read it but it's written in in latin and it's hidden under you know it's hidden in the pope's bathroom or something it's like it's like, dude, you can you can literally, yeah, you can literally dial it up on a five inch piece of glass in your pocket right now. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. 
It's yeah. it, it's funny that that you mentioned that. It's not it's not just uh, the everyday citizen that is like that. I and, and I think you you referenced that a handful of these congressmen oh. uh, have oh. read the Library of Congress books. I think that there is own there seems to be a handful. Maybe there's more. There seems to be a handful of congressmen. Um, politicians that have never read just our founding documents that could take an hour to read or less um, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence to so throw in throw throw in the amendments as well. Um, it just seems like whenever you hear people talk on television or if they tweet or whatever it is, it just seems like they are un- very unfamiliar with our founding documents. Oh yeah, I mean I. I- had one of my students one time, he, a couple of years ago, he's like, we need to put together a little packet, you know, kind of like when you go to uh, college, your professor will have a little packet you have to buy of stuff to read. He's like, we need to put together a, a packet for our lawmakers that have like Federalist 10, Federalist 51, Federalist 46, a uh, couple of the anti-Federalists, a little bit of Algernon Sidney little bit of John Locke, a little bit of Trenchard and Gord, just some stuff to get them just, you know, not go too deep. We're not going to, we're not going to deep Google the stuff, you know, we're just going to keep it like, you know, just, just the hit tracks, no deep just tracks. Just the hits. Yeah, just the hits. We're not going to go deep cuts on them and just have them know some of this, if for no other reason than to put some of that stuff in their heads. Because right now they act like they have no idea. Yeah. You know, and, and it comes down to an education, um, an education yeah, yeah. of our politicians. And that leads up to the, our next question on Madison's education. What is it? And I know we've referenced this earlier in the show, but what stands out about Madison's education that people should know about and possibly try to replicate? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is Madison in his letters, which now I've read all of them, and he. Early on, he says, you know, he was a a sickly kid, you know, and he's like, writes his best friend, uh, Billy, and he's like, I don't know how much time I have, so I'm going to spend my time doing two things, reading the best books and making sure that my name gets enrolled in the annals of heaven, is what he said. (laughs) So he's reading the best books. I think we need to do that. It's so easy to get a list today. And I put out a list. There are lists at Liberty Fund and stuff like that of the books the founders read. And I think that is something in Madison's education that needs to be replicated. Right. We can't we we shouldn't be celebrating our founding fathers only. We should be emulating our founding fathers. And that includes putting the stuff in their heads, in our heads that they put in theirs, because if we read what they read. We might do what they did. And I think the people in power are afraid of that. And that's why they purposefully erase most of this from our curricula and from our collective uh, memory. But I think so. Reading the best books. Look, you can. This is what I tell people. You want to do like the founder's education. Don't drink downstream. We have we are blessed enough to live at a time where you can get on Google and you can read from the source. 
why are you going to drink downstream where the horses and the cows and the fish and everything and people been doing heaven knows what on in, in that in that stream when you can walk a little ways and drink that sweet water bubbling straight from the source. That's right. Why why do we drink downstream? So that's what we need to replicate. Read the source material. Don't read what somebody said about what somebody wrote about what somebody said about what somebody wrote. Just go to the original stuff. It's available out there and it is available for free in English. Right? It's it's not like you have to go like Madison did. He's like I want to read a history of the world. It happens to be written in Italian. I've got to learn Italian, right? Wow. We can okay. just, we, we can, we can dial up Montesquieu and read it in English, right? We can, we can dial up Caesar Beccaria and read it in English. So the biggest thing from his education and from all the founders education is stop drinking downstream, go to the sources the internet you can find the sources get those sources pull them up on the google machine read that stuff man and get get your water straight as it comes bubbling out of the ground don't go down there downstream and i think when we're talking about madison you think about this fellas here's a little 11 year old james madison and he's in class with john tyler a future president george rogers clark a Revolutionary War hero, John Taylor of Caroline, a U.S. senator. He's sitting in class where they're all just little, like, essentially fourth graders in Donald Robertson's little school of about a dozen kids. And you've got two future presidents, two future senators, a future vice president, a future secretary of state, a Revolutionary War hero. I mean, we're talking all of this seemingly, I mean, coincidental collection of the of some of the greatest heroes that America would would ever uh, create. And they were all little kids together studying. I don't think that's I don't think that's coincidence. And that's what I teach people. That's not a coincidence. We can read the stuff that Donald Robertson taught these kids and we can get a little closer to being like those kids ourselves. It's funny your quote. Uh, I'm reminded of the movie Horse Soldiers, where William Holden said that the coffee will taste better if we build the latrines downstream rather than upstream. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's like I, I read some of these textbooks, these American history textbooks, and I'm like, whoa, there have some horses been doing some stuff in that water. That's yeah. for sure. So I, uh, I trust you're a big Howard Zinn fan. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Isn't everybody? I you like know, I just tried. I just tried to purchase. I I just purchased a book called Debunking Howard Zinn, and yeah. it got canceled. Did it? The order was canceled. Yeah. Oh wow. Of all the books, that was the only one that was canceled on me. I'm like, interesting. Like was... Joshua Phillip, a, a guest that we've had on the show a couple of times. Uh, mm -hmm. He's the writer for the Epic Times. Uh -huh. uh, he he was like, dude, you need to, you know, probably maybe you need to check out debunking uh -huh. Howard Zinn. Yeah, I uh, I have I have Howard Zinn's books simply yeah. because and simply because you got to know what the other side is uh, is saying. And I, what's that that other book I have? Um, uh, Rules for Radicals. Hmm. 
Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I've even read the Communist Manifesto so that... Uh, Which is a classic. It's a classic, yes. <laughs> I gave it a one star, by the way. Good <laughs> reason. One star? Yeah. Oh, the book bored me to death, but I gave it, was it a, very I gave it five stars yeah. and said, this is revolutionary. Yes. <laughs> or as the New York Times... I gave it. The New York Times would call it as Mayo, uh, the great revolutionary in our time. <laughs> I... I gave the Communist Manifesto five stars because I said, I have not, until I purchased this book, been able to keep my dining room table level. And now it's just perfect. I just stick it oh. under one of the legs. And <laughs> it took like, me a second I was, there. I was putting the book on top of the table. <laughs> no, now it's man. Under. It's, it fits perfectly under one of the legs. Nothing slides off now. Beautiful. I'm like five stars, five five. Five thumbs up. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, Google uh, being the way it is, do you recommend yeah. a uh, search engine besides Google? Since um, I've noticed that if I do a search on Google versus, say, DuckDuckGo, that... Uh, it's very downstream. Very different in terms of the results that you get. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Google is notorious for that. But, of course, when you start connecting the dots there's a little data that it, the duck duck goes is better for lots of reasons um because well i don't know although lately i've been reading some stuff that maybe duck duck go is is starting to make deals with google as well so i don't know but duck duck go is great the only problem with google oh well there's a lot of problems but the problem with doing a search on google is if you want to get these things that that I reference in the book and that I reference in, in, uh, in a new book. I actually have a book coming out around Christmas called the founder's recipe, where I'm talking about all these guys that nobody's ever heard of that the founders read all the time. And I've got selections from their writing and it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be the book that, uh, that gets the most attention to be honest. It's not coming out till Christmas, but, uh, anyway, the problem is you've got to be pretty specific if you want to get this stuff. If you just put in, you know, for example, Algernon Sydney, you're going to get a lot of like the History Channel, you know, and stuff like that. You're going to get the very, very just the surface information. And you've got to go so deep on Google. But unfortunately, it's ubiquitous. Everybody and his dog uses it. So I just tell people, uh, if you want to get a better result, I'm like, Google the person's name that you're looking for. Try to put in as much information as possible. That's what I'm saying. If you want to read a certain thing, get as much of the actual text as you can and put that in Google and you'll be a little better off than you would be otherwise. Yeah. Interesting you you mentioned that. Um, I, I wrote an article a few years ago just on my personal site, and I'd given a couple of um, presentations on it on how to use Google correctly to get specifically exactly what you want. Because uh, uh, Google is in their search in their search engine as um, you're able to utilize like quotes, um, info, you know, and you're able to narrow down, is it going to be a .gov, .info, .com? Um, and you're able to narrow down, you can find specifically what you're wanting. Um, mm -hmm. So actually listeners, I'll, I'll be sure to post that on our, on our Facebook page. Yeah, so that, they can, that they can would check be very that out. Uh, so yeah. if there is a specific 
you know, Helvidius um, essay. They can, oh. they can type in specifically with this, you know, either a quote around it um, <laughs> and then, you know, find it exactly. So I'm just, I'm just looking here. I'm like, yeah, if you type in uh, James Madison Helvidius, uh, it comes up with, it comes up with the, uh, the real deal there. It comes up within the first five, you've got Liberty Fund and they've got all of the, they've got Hamilton's con- contributions as Pacificus and Madison's contributions as Helvidius. And so, yeah, you can actually, if you like, just like you said, do be as specific as you can. But if you type James Madison Helvidius, I think it's one of those things Google's like, what what five people in the world are going to bother reading this? And so if you put in James Madison Helvidius, you're going to read that first one and you're going to need some Clorox wipes for the, the brain matter on the wall. <laughs> if you're able to use the wipes. Um, so... Madison is considered the father of the Constitution. Um, yeah. He helped really lay out how we would put our government together. Uh, I referenced right. the Virginia plan a little earlier. So how did his education guide him in his decisions to help form uh, the new U.S. government? That is probably the best way to frame that question. Seriously, I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt. That's like if you could just... If you could frame a question that meant more to people, I, I, I doubt you could do it. That's a great way to say it. I appreciate it. it. So, yeah, yeah. Madison, when he, when he saw that they were having, you know, the, the Mount Vernon Conference, the Annapolis Convention, all this kind of stuff, Madison's like, look, and I could either go to these things and sit there and listen and vote like everyone else, or I could go to these things and I could set the agenda. And so that's what he did. He spent time. He, he wrote to Jefferson and said, hey, send me all the books you can find on, on history. Send me all the books you can find on the law of nations. Send me all the Greek and Roman stuff. And Jefferson sent him this, what did he call it, the literary cargo. And Madison, the thing his education prepared him for is he took, and you can find reference to it in my book, he took these uh, books from history, and I love how you guys have the, the Patrick Henry quote on your uh, website, by the way. Uh, yeah, the, so Madison took these books, and he's, I call him, I say Madison was a, a coroner, and he was examining the lifeless bodies of the formerly self re, self-governing republics of the past. He was identifying what disease killed them so that he could inoculate the American Republic from dying of those same diseases. And that's what he did with his education. He said, let me look at these lifeless corpses of the, the Greek confederacies, of Rome, of Holland, of Italy. Let me see what killed them. And then maybe we can use that information to concoct some sort of antidote that we can administer to the American system of government. And that's, nobody does that anymore. Right. Right. He goes in there, he says, and he has it right. He has uh, the uh, vices of the American political system. And he lists all the States and what the problem was notes on the ancient and modern confederacies. 
Here's what they did right. Here's what they did wrong. Here's what ultimately killed them. Why, why can't we teach that in, in school? Instead of reading some rubbish textbook that was written by somebody who was taught to be a teacher rather than a historian, why don't we just have a packet of these readings? Because I can tell you, that's what I do to my students. And these people get fired up and everybody's like, oh, Joe, this is an amazing class. I'm like, dude, I'm the telescope. No one gives the telescope credit for discovering planets. They give Galileo the credit, and rightly so. All I'm doing is saying, here, look at these things that Madison wrote. Why don't we read them instead of just saying Madison was the father of the Constitution? Well, first of all, that just isn't true. I mean, I know he gets the rep. He's definitely the father of the Bill of Rights. He's more like the, the midwife of the Constitution. But his, why can't we just read his stuff in school? And so that's the thing. His education prepared him because he knew I'm going to take part in this and I'm going to show up ready to set the agenda rather than participate in the agenda. And that's, that's what makes Madison Madison. It seems that with with what you're doing, you're creating a um, a haven, a cove of kids that are being highly educated. Um, it seems through sort of the, the quote unquote liberal arts education or liberal Absolutely. liberal education. Um, yeah. So you're you've got this you've got these groups of kids um, that are learning at the same time. And obviously when that happens and they're, they're, they're learning at a high level, it creates not just competition between who can be the smartest or who can learn the most, but it creates a collaboration. Um, and it seems like during our founding, there was such a mass movement of collaboration between um, these great men and women uh, because these the wives I mean, we we've referenced Abigail Adams a number of times uh, and how John Adams and Abigail Adams sort of played off of each other um, and it seems that you're sort of creating that type of system in there Madison had Jefferson among others but what was the relationship like between him and Jefferson, how they collaborated, how they bounced ideas off of each other? And I know that you have a chapter in your book, The Real James Madison, called The Great Collaboration. Uh, so what what was it about their relationship and how can kids and adults alike, and I, I thank God that I ran into Alan um, because he's forced me um, and really helped give me a desire to learn even more. Um, but what is it about their relationship and how, what can people learn from that maybe also to replicate that? Well, I think, yeah, they met, uh, Madison was 25, Jefferson was 33. They met when they were both uh, essentially state reps in Virginia. And from the beginning, each of them recognized in the other talents that he himself did not possess. And rather than feeling jealous, they felt joyous. They were like, look, we may be good at one thing. Together, we're good at lots of things. And so Jefferson said, 
Uh, Madison is the first of every assembly of which he became a member. In other words, he's the smartest guy in the room, no matter what room he's in, because he's done the heavy lifting in history. And Madison said, Thomas Jefferson's pen is powerful. And he's like, I don't, I don't necessarily have it. He's like, Thomas Jefferson fires people up. Thomas Jefferson gets to your heart, he said, and I get to your brain. They didn't want to separate and see who could win the, the battle to be the most brilliant founder. They wanted to use each other's strengths to make themselves stronger, right? It's like the, uh, the Gestalt, right? The German Gestalt, the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. They made themselves something historical, and they even admitted it. They said, Jefferson said, we are who we are. And Madison wrote it years later, after Jefferson died. Madison said, we became who we were because we worked together. We didn't always agree, but when we did agree, we made sure we collaborated. We did, we did not compete. And I think that's what we do. And I do see it in class. You'll see somebody that's like, I can't write at all, but I can tell you what to write. I literally see that. We would have class and it would be, you know, and I don't do homework. The founders didn't do homework. I don't do tests. Look, the test is going to be, do we restore our liberty? I'll give you a test after you turn about 80. We'll see if we restored our liberty. If we did, you all get an A. If we don't, you all get Fs. That's, that's basically it, right? And so I, I see these kids, they'll say, I, I want to write, write a blog. Like, I've got this great idea for a blog, this angle to take on it, but I don't have the writing skills that I need. And so you'll have, they'll get together and you'll get a, you know, you'll get a Thomas Jefferson and James Madison that are 15 years old working together. There's the America-Restored.com that two of my former students did. They started it when they were 15 and it is straight fire every week. But, and they, they even write it under the name Publius just because out of respect for uh, Madison. But they, yeah, they, they just get, like you say, it's just collaboration. So Madison and Jefferson, what did they do? They didn't meet until they were older. They didn't meet when they were kids. They met when they were older, but they were humble enough to recognize in the other strengths that he didn't have himself. And if we could do that, like you two, I'm sure you two have found that in your collaboration. You're like, you have this, I have that. Let's put it together. And somehow the whole is more than the sum of the parts. And, and well, the proof is in the pudding. You guys have made this influential uh, blog and influential podcast that probably individually you could not do. And what do we have? We have Jefferson and Madison. They come together. They make the Kentucky and Virginia resolution. Madison writes the memorial and remonstrance on religion. You've got Madison and Jefferson collaborating on Madison's Republican essays. Uh, Jefferson tells Madison, look, man, I don't have the historical uh, gravitas that you have. I don't have the stuff in my head that someone needs to take on Alexander Hamilton. So you got to do it. And what does Madison say? Madison says, 
if my boy TJ says it needs to be done, I'm I'm going to get it done. And so he does. And that's and a direct that's, quote, I believe. It, it well, I think what he said is, <laughs> I think he said, "Yo, Dolly, TJ just texted me. Uh, hold my beer. I got to go in here and and write some stuff on the MacBook. I think that's. I'd have to I look think at that's, the actual. Yeah, I believe it's that's close accurate. enough. It's right. close enough. Yeah, Dustin and I, um, individually, I don't think we could have even come close to what we're doing now. I've been, I spend all my time, free time reading uh, different books throughout the entire spectrum of, of history, not just American history, but I've never had the outlet to present my views until I met Dustin. You know, Dustin is more of the scholarly person in terms of he's written a book I have not. He, I mean, he's published a book. And um, he's sitting, he, he sets up all the equipment, uh, all the sound equipment, all the video equipment, which I, I've never had that type of, uh, you know, that aptitude or anything of the sort. So I'm very grateful that he and I can collaborate together because as a team, we draw off each other's uh, strength. Right. Now, I was going to mention something else. Um, are you familiar with the uh, Library of America book series? I am, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I went and got up. I, I have the collection of the Founding Fathers. I have Madison's book and uh, his, his papers. And on page 537, uh, it has Helvidius number one. Mm -hmm. and, and I see later on that he wrote five altogether. This book only shows one of them. But uh, it looks like he credits uh, the pencil of uh, Taciturn. The pencil of who now? Tacit? Is it Tacit? Tacitus? Tacitus? I think oh, Tacitus. Tacitus. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tacitus. Oh, Are you trying to say tacky turn? No, and then Tacitus. Also my, Tacitus my, at the my same bad. time? My bad. I, I don't know where that <laughs> word came from. Tacitus, uh, the Roman uh, oh, but it feels historian. Tacky turn. Right, okay. Tacitus. <laughs> Sorry, people. Tacitus, <laughs> no, the Roman me, historian. Yeah, let me tell you about Tacitus. First of all, this is a guy that every we read it because the founders love that guy and we read it. he wrote his books are very small you know and they're easy to read and guess what we don't have to do like the founders and read them in latin we can read them in english translations and tacitus is a guy brother i'm gonna promise you right now page one you read it and you're like why am i just this year's old before i read this stuff because Tacitus is brilliant. He, if you're German or English, he writes the history of your people from when he was in Germany 2,000 years ago. And if you're German or Anglo-Saxon, these are your people. You read it and you're just like, what? And then he also, he's got a foot in the Republic and a foot in the Empire. He's like, here's what happened. And you read it. I'm, I'm not joking with you. I have my students, they... They beg to read Tacitus. They read Tacitus, and they're like, this dude is a time traveler. They're like, he must be alive right now and just be going back and forth playing this cosmic joke on people. And Madison, yeah, you read Tacitus, and seriously, you read his annals and his histories and Germania and, and uh, you, Agricola. You read this stuff, and you're like, how did he know this? Well, the question is not how did he know that? He knew it because he was looking around him and writing what was happening. The question is, why do 11-year-olds in 1740 be able to quote this guy and 11-year-olds, and we got 
college freshmen today who have to take remedial English. I mean, yeah, Helvidius, yeah, you go to, I would go to Liberty Fund just because they've got all five of them on there. And yeah, they got all five Helvidius, they've got all the Pacificus. And yeah, you, and then you can also click on that and you can read uh, everything ever written by Tacitus. And you can sit there and need brain surgery wow. because it's going to explode. All right, listeners, uh, make sure you check out Tacitus, as will I. Um, so, definitely. Oh, you have? I have, yeah. I yeah have of course Tacitus, you do. Which is why I feel <laughs> stupid for saying Taciturn. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Joe, quick yeah. question on, on yes. Madison. Obviously, we've uh, discussed Madison in the, the best light. But what did Madison get wrong, perhaps, in your opinion? Yeah, Madison did. And and the sad thing is, in my in my new book, uh, What Degree of Madness, that's uh, Shotwell P- Press is publishing that next month. Um, Madison actually assumed that people were going to be as virtuous, as vigilant and as educated as he was. And yeah, we're not any of that. And so here he says, you know, Patrick Henry says, hey, here's what's going to happen at the Virginia Ratifying Convention. Here are all the horrible things that are going to happen as the result of creating this powerful general government. And Madison says, how crazy would you have to be to let something like that happen? How crazy would Americans be to be the type of people that sit back and fund a tyrant who destroys and steals their property and who takes their liberty. He's like, with all due respect, Americans will never be that crazy. And then he goes on to list five things that would never, ever, ever happen in America. And we blew right through them. Right. And that's what, to me, Madison got wrong. And I feel bad for him. I honestly think you know i'm a a man of faith i think he's madison is is out there somewhere and i think that's the thing he's like wow i really counted on y'all to be able to pull this off and i had no idea that pokemon go would be created you know he's like if i could have only seen pokemon i would not have made these rash statements but what he got wrong is he he genuinely believed that two things that one that americans would remain virtuous and educated and number two he genuinely believed that the concept of of checks and balances would prevent the accumulation of power by the uh, central government would you would you label that as naivete or just overly optimistic yeah i think he's overly optimistic uh, because certainly naive he wasn't because he'd read all this history. I think he, and not, I think I, I keep saying, I think, but you read his stuff and he makes it very clear. He says, uh, I know this is what history says, but I also know that America, that we're different. Americans are going to do that. We're going to be the ones that finally turn it around and are able to prevent this sort of, uh, decline to occur. 
So, Joe, it's been an incredible conversation. Um, obviously, we want to promo you and your book. Where can people find your book? Um, now, the book is sold out everywhere. They're going to do a second printing that's supposed to be around Christmas. Uh, the only place they have any copies left is at uh, in like national nccs.net. That's the National Center for Constitutional Studies.net. NC cs.net that's the only place they have any left um you can read my stuff pretty much every day on the new american.com i write there and on the 10th amendment center blog which i write very regularly and they they print my my longer stuff as well and then like you say if you go to the uh, instagram teacher underscore of underscore liberty I link to my stuff there, and that's where I save my most of my uh, fiery stuff for for Instagram because I think that's the way to reach people where they are. Yeah. Well, hey, you reached us, right? So. Hey, hey and you reached me. Don't even don't get it <laughs> twisted. When I when I saw your site, I'm like, this is how it should be done. Awesome. This wow. is how. It, yeah, yeah. Well, thank this you is how it should much. be done. So I also want to promo just for a quick second. Um, you've got a book that's coming out on the 46th Federalist Paper written by James Madison. Give us a, just a quick synopsis on what that is and when it'll be out. Yeah, it'll be out in October, uh, Shotwell Press. The It's about the 46th Federalist Paper number 46. It's basically James Madison saying, here's five things that will ne Americans will never let happen in their government we do that we've done those we've let those five things happen and then madison gives he's like just in case they go crazy here's the solution here's how we can fix the well the way i say it here's how we can force the federal beast back inside its constitutional cage and he gives the the remedy for that and the way i sum it up for people in a way that sounds familiar is he says we have to make America states again. And once we do that, then we can force that federal beast back inside its constitutional cage. And I think people are going to be very, very shocked when they read this because it's not one of the ones that get attention. But you read it and you will see that he has uh, unfortunately predicted that we ourselves have sat back and watched this tyranny. But Madison being the man that he was, he says, just in case, here you go. Here's how you can stop it from happening. Awesome. Well, that sounds like some really good reading right there. Uh, Joe, once again, man, thanks for being on the show. Well, I'm, I'm honestly honored. You guys, like I say, you guys are setting the pace. And I'm, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, I don't always tell about all the stuff I do, the podcast and the shows and whatnot, but I'm definitely going to be bragging about this one. Awesome. Sure. Thank awesome. you, and uh, I'm, I'm following you on uh, Facebook, so I can uh, read uh, much more of your material. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I automatically send all my stuff there, too, so, yeah. Awesome, well, we will definitely uh, put you on our on our social media everywhere that, that we're putting it out, and once again, oh, man, man, it's been an, a, just a really enjoyable conversation. I, I, know, uh, I know I've had fun, I know Alan's had fun. Um, I would like to bring him on again for certain topics. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. Well, if you'd be willing to. Yeah. Oh, are you? I mean, yeah. Would you be willing? 
Yeah, will you be on? Will you be on with like the coolest history teachers? No, I won't. I'm. I'm I've got a thing. No, yeah, of course I'll be. I mean, look at your home. I gotta do my hair. Yeah, people. No, people tell me they're like, "What is?" You know, they're like, "Sons of History." What is it about them that makes them different? I'm like, "Have you seen the homepage?" Brethren are dressed up. They got the. They got the constant. I'm like, if you don't, if you don't get it, you don't get it. You know, it's it's like that quote that the founders used to have from Trenchard and Gordon: "If not, then not." Right? If you get it, you get it. If not, then not. So, right. Yeah. yeah. I got that yeah, tattooed on uh, my lower back. <laughs> hey, well, hey, were you? You must have been in Panama City the same time I was. <laughs> it was a great time. I hardly remember it. <laughs> That's right. All right, Joe, thanks again so much for being on the show, and we hope to have you on the show again very soon. Thanks again. Yep, it'd be an honor. Thank you, guys. All right, that was very enlightening. Really, I had a really good time talking to Joe. What What were your thoughts on this, man? My thoughts were, I want to have a beer with this guy. Yeah. I want to just sit down, the three of us, have a conversation, drink some beers, smoke some cigars, and I think we would be talking all through the night. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Um, I'm probably not going to have a cigar, um, but I will throw down the beers. Um, you can go ahead and destroy your internal lung capacity. Uh, I don't inhale. Oh, okay. Cigars. Yeah. Come it's on. like you and Bill. Yeah. Okay. But, Fantastic. And I don't vape. Yeah, that, uh, not a good idea, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So no, we had a we had a great time. Um, thanks again, Joe, for for being on the show. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, as we tend to do, we like to end our podcast on a scripture. We've got one for you that sort of plays into James Madison. Uh, I think it was mentioned at the beginning of the show that he was small, five foot four, um, sort of a sickly looking individual. Um, and Joe mentioned that he, even James Madison said of himself, I don't know how long I'm going to live. Um, I may end up, you know, passing away. So I am going to do two things. I'm going to read the best books and live according to how God wants me to live, more or less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, he was the longest living founding father uh, at 85. That's, he, so he lived a long life he uh, lived longer than john adams 85 years old i thought john adams was like 90 when he passed um i don't know how old was john adams well he was uh what 40 i think Let's when he um uh, i think he was 40 when he uh w- was at the second but john Colonel adams Congress. and thomas jefferson died the same day yeah 1826 right? july the 4th on the 50th anniversary of Okay. The, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I think he was forty when he when uh, Jefferson wrote the Declaration. So what is sixty five plus twenty six? Sixty five plus twenty six is ninety one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so let's rephrase that. He was one of the oldest. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Huh? Well, we, we Can can't we, we can't mislead our audience. No, of course not. I'm glad you caught me on that. But yeah, died a very long prosperous life mm-hmm. um so this scripture is first samuel 16 and 7 and god is talking to the prophet samuel and he's referencing king saul um, and he says do not consider his appearance or his height 
for I have rejected him. Speaking of Saul, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's, that's sort of uh, like James Madison. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at that guy's heart and his mind mm-hmm. and what he, what he went after, knowledge and understanding, and then guiding the, the new government of the United States. Mm-hmm. The guy stood head and shoulders mentally and um, educationally and all, all these ways. How would you, how would you phrase that? Well, I, I know what you're trying to say, but yeah. you know, I'm reminded of Moses. My understanding was that he, his physical or some kind of appearances weren't really the best. Maybe he was a stutterer. He stuttered. Yeah. He stuttered. And then the Nixon-Kennedy debate in 1960, those who listened on the radio said Nixon won, mm-hmm. but those who watched it on TV said Kennedy won. Yeah. And it was because Kennedy looked calm. Whereas and Nixon Nick- sort of looked like he was sick. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and but that's that's part of the human nature. Mm-hmm. We do look on the on the outside uh, as much as we verbally say uh, we need to look on the inside. It's the inside that counts. Well, how about how about we all act accordingly? Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of the show, Doctor Kavorkian. Where yes. can they find us? Well, I can write a prescription for Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and. Twitter, and we have our very own website, www.thesonsofhistory.com. You know, I really wish that we did have video going with your arms up like that. You like that? <laughs> it's like a weirdo. Do you like my arms? Look at look how big they are. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, they're about three times my size, maybe four. Anyways. Uh, yeah, the right, Alan, to, the right Alan, to bear arms. There we go. Alan does work out. I do not. Uh, God bless him. That's not the only thing that separates us. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of our show. Thanks so much for listening. Please go check us out. Like us on Facebook and everywhere else and subscribe to our YouTube and also subscribe to wherever it is that you're listening to this show. We'll talk to you later. Have a great week. 